Okay, so Psalm 23, which is found on page 792 of the Church Bibles. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, thanks, Jazz. It was a couple of years back I first came across the word sheeple. I don't know if you've heard this word, sheeple. Uh, it describes people who are like sheep. Um, I've got an image up here. Uh, usually, uh, the idea is uh, a sheeple is stupid, uh, gullible, docile, uh, easily led, uh, and often to their own death or destruction, something like that. Uh, I think the word sheeple is often used by conspiracy theorists uh, because they're describing everyone else who uh, haven't understood the real truth, they're just going along with the crowd, um, and they need to be enlightened, not like sheeple. That's kind of uh, the way the word often gets used, I think. Um, but the word's stuck with me uh, for a different reason. Uh, first, it's a great mental image, isn't it? Like, it's a, it's a great kind of uh, blending together of people and sheep. Uh, but it also, to me, it sounds like one of the most common um, criticisms of, Christi- of Christians, that we're sheeple. Uh, people like you and I are just basically gullible idiots, um, stupid and docile, just doing whatever the guy at the front says or you know, whatever your old book tells you to do. We don't seem to ask questions, we don't think, uh, we just accept and we just ignore reality around us is kind of the criticism. Uh, of course, being completely oblivious to what all the smart people know for certain, that there is no God, so just make your own way in life. To be fair, uh, to be fair with that criticism, uh, sometimes there is truth in that, isn't there? Um, that there are various forms of Christianity, different groups that discourage serious questions. Uh, they shut down thoughtfulness, and uh, life is not about reading the Bible carefully or thoughtfully, um, but sort of fanatically and refusing to actually engage in sort of nuance and thoughtfulness, uh, and also just often refusing to engage with the reality of the world around us. The other reason that the word sheeple sticks in my mind um, is that the Bible does talk about us as sheep quite a lot. Uh, God's people are often described as sheep, just like in Psalm 23 here. And so the first thing to say as we get to a psalm about us being sheep, I suppose, is um, in the Bible, always being described as a sheep is a great thing. Uh, It's not because God doesn't want us to think or to reason. Uh, We're not described as sheep because the Bible teaches us to be gullible or something like that. It's actually the opposite in the Bible. We're encouraged to think. We should ask questions. We should read carefully and thoughtfully. But instead, as the Bible compares us to sheep, the main thing going on, the main sort of drive there is it's actually really good to be a sheep. It's good to be a sheep, uh, not just because you can enjoy a life free of responsibility, sort of wandering around a beautiful paddock where there's no deadlines, uh, there's no bills to pay, there's no chaos of Christmas to organise. Uh, And it's good to be a sheep, not because you get to live a life with real purpose, giving your wool to make a warmer, cuddlier world. Uh, It's not even because you get to die with purpose as a sheep, that is, you know, some kind of flame-grilled, delicious death uh, to make your life mean something. The best thing in the Bible about being compared to a sheep, like here in Psalm 23, is that while the world is full of danger and chaos and threats, and Christians are not spared from these things, the best thing is that through all that, helpless like sheep though we are, God is with us and he is protecting us and caring for us. 
So in the Psalms, there are all kinds of ways that God is described. Um, he's described as a rock, as a fortress, as a shield. Uh, we read about God pictured as a king, as a warrior, sometimes as a, as a creator. But in Psalm 23, we get a captivating and intimate description of what it is to experience knowing God. Like, what's the experience of knowing God and being known by Him? Here, we see that God is a shepherd. Actually, He's not just a shepherd, is He? Here we read that God is my shepherd. Something that is often misunderstood about Christianity is that it's, people just think it's about believing a set of things. It's far more than that, isn't it? Being a Christian is personal. It's to know God and to be known by Him. Experiencing life with God as our shepherd is what Christianity is like. So for those who want to mock us for being sheep, well, um, firstly, let's not be sheep in the gullible sense. Uh, but more importantly, uh, we should actually be feeling sorry for those who uh, just don't realise how good that experience is to have God as our shepherd, as we see here in Psalm 23. You might notice, uh, if you have your Bibles open, it would be a great thing to do. Uh, notice before verse 1 in your Bibles, uh, there's a little note that this is the Psalm of David. That's King David, uh, that's Israel's greatest king, the, you know, the same one who killed the giant Goliath, and the same David who used to be a shepherd himself. Uh, that was his background. So David would have known far better than any of us, my guess is, uh, far better than us, uh, what being a shepherd in the ancient world, like in the Middle East, would have been like. Uh, and it's not easy. So you might sometimes think a shepherd gets to wander around, uh, perhaps in this, in this image here, think of knee-high, lush grass, uh, as far as the eye can see. Um, you might think of being hemmed in with great fences and uh, big dams of water all over the place. Just, that looks idyllic, doesn't it? Just wandering around all day with the sheep. You can imagine, actually, just finding a nice tree to sit under, you know, maybe you know, practice with your slingshot for a little bit or write some brilliant poetry, something like that. That's actually not the case uh, in the ancient world, uh, in the Middle East, being a shepherd. Think more like perhaps the next image. Uh, pretty rugged and rough environment in a lot of the times. Um, a couple thousand years ago, being a shepherd involves, all rolled into one, all of these roles. Maybe a provider, a security guard, a planner, an organiser, a vet, a lifeguard, a travel guide, kind of like a school teacher on an endless excursion with clueless kids day and night, all rolled into one. Um, often there's difficult terrain to cover, it's not easy getting your sheep from A to B, and constantly needing to move them around actually to find food and to find water. The goal is to not lose any sheep. Uh, to me, that sounds pretty tough. Uh, that doesn't sound like the idyllic existence we might dream up uh, when we're thinking about just, you know, wandering around a beautiful paddock. So the idea is, David knows full well uh, what a good shepherd needs to be able to do. A good shepherd provides and a good shepherd protects the flock. And in the most personal way, David, who is a shepherd, David takes a sheep's eye view of his shepherd. And then he shares, and he kind of sings in this wonderful song, how great it is to have God as our shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Again, let me point out, David doesn't say God is a shepherd or God is like a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. Uh, this same God who created the galaxies, uh, who stitched together all of time and space, who every moment of every day sustains all life by his powerful word, this God is my shepherd. It doesn't exist out there in philosophy lands. He's entered into personal relationship and he is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
I lack nothing. Now, that's not the promise that uh, God gives us every possible thing all of the time. Uh, if, again, if you think about li- David's life, you realize he literally had to be on the run for many years. He, he literally lacked a home. Uh, he lacked for ages. Now, all of us lack things, don't we? Like, you can think of the many things we lack. And take me, for instance. Something you could notice I lack from about 100 meters away is I lack stuff on top of my head. Um, which I did have a great joke lined up about, by the way. About It's actually great being a shorn sheep during summer most of the time, unlike you poor, uh, you know, woolly suckers who have to sweat it out. The joke doesn't work today, unfortunately, in the middle of summer. Um, but anyway, it is great most of the time in summer. What was I saying? Uh, now, as David looks back, as David looks back over his life, he sees God's constant provision for him. This is actually looking back at his life in total. He sees, I have lacked nothing. Yes, I was on the run, all that stuff, but I've lacked nothing because God has constantly provided all the things that matter the most. It's actually because God is our shepherd that we lack nothing. That's the kind of the link here. So let me put it another way. We are content sheep when we realize how our shepherd looks after us. We are content sheep when we realize how our shepherd looks after us. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, green pastures weren't a given in David's day, and uh, sheep won't always know where to go. Um, They can't see far. uh, They're pretty short. uh, And they don't sort of send out sheep scouts to go and find a good place to eat next. Sheep don't work out where to go. Sheep need to trust their shepherd. uh, And the shepherd needs to know where to go. And the sheep follow him. Uh, Even if that means sometimes the shepherd will lead them first through difficult places, dark valleys. Now, to clarify in verse 2, when it says, he makes me lie down, it's not like God is forcing David to have a nap at that point. Um, the image here is that usually when you lead a sheep into green pastures, I think there's a sort of background kind of video there of green pasture sheep standing up. Um, usually, sheep stand up to eat. That's kind of how it works. They stand up, they wander around eating. Um, to say that they are um, lying down is to say they have eaten their fill. They are completely full. They've had all the water, all the food they need. They are content sheep and they're relaxing. They're chilling out because they're at peace. Um, Sheep who are worried about wolves or dogs, um, they don't lie down. They're sort of, uh, they're standing up ready, being skittish. This is an image of complete rest and contentment. See, knowing God is our shepherd doesn't mean we'll have an endless supply of everything our hearts want. That's not what David's talking about. Knowing God as our shepherd means instead we can find contentment. And of course, in our world, contentment is such a rare thing and it's such a precious thing as Christians that we can experience. To actually be content no matter what our circumstances involve. We get to experience this, don't we? Not in a, I'm I'm just going to be determined to not not complain, I'm going to tough it out, I'm going to just grit my teeth and get through, not having what I need. Um, But actually, the experience of contentment isn't like that for the Christian. The experience of contentment comes from knowing our shepherd, from knowing him. That's how we find contentment. And so as we barrel uh, into sort of you know, headfirst into 2024, let me ask us some kind of important questions to take stock. And this, these are good questions for me to reflect on as well, of course. Here's the questions. Uh, are we seeking contentment in our shepherd and in what he provides? Or are we seeking contentment in other places? Um, do we feel like we lack nothing, or are we focused on what we don't have? Perhaps we sort of more focused on what the neighbours have and wanting that as well. Do we rest knowing we lack nothing because we know our shepherd? 
Uh, we're sort of thinking to ourselves, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm reasonably content because my finances are okay. Or are we saying, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will not want. Well, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Verse 3, he refreshes my soul. He refreshes my soul. Um, God does really provide that uh, refreshment for wearied souls, doesn't he? Uh, when perhaps our spiritual life is collapsing under the, you know, the weight of life. Uh, turning to our shepherd does really give that experience of refreshment. Turning to him, spending time with him. And maybe at this point of the year, maybe uh, the best reminder you can get to kind of actually yeah, turn to our shepherd for refreshed souls, not just pushing through the year. Now, setting aside the question for a moment of whether um, sheep have souls, uh, pushing the metaphor a bit too far, uh, verse 3 can be read a bit more literally, I suppose. Verse 3, he restores my life. So he refreshes my soul, can be uh, a bit more literal, he restores my life. Um, I learned a fair bit about sheep this week. Uh, one thing that sort of uh, kind of stood out to me was uh, the phrase, a cast sheep, a cast sheep. Um, now, I'm not from a farming background. Some of you might have heard this phrase before. A sheep that is cast, a sheep that's cast has fallen over uh, with their legs in the air uh, and they can't get up again. Um, sheep are kind of, they're kind of ridiculous animals, aren't they? They're centre of balance kind of once they've fallen over, not because they're sick necessarily, they just lose their balance, fall over, and the way their bodies are put together, they're pretty vulnerable, uh, and their legs flail around, they can't get up again. Now, it sounds hilarious, and probably is funny to see it, but it's not funny for the sheep, uh, because it can quickly lead to bloating, and depending on the weather, it can be fatal uh, within a day or two. And a vulture will very quickly circle in when they see a sheep that is cast. So a good shepherd knows if they're a sheep down, if they're missing one, they go and look for them. And they will restore the cast sheep. They restore their life as they put them back on their feet. So what assurance we have here, uh, that if our lives are a mess, our shepherd comes to restore us. What our shepherd does for us is restore our life. He refreshes our soul. So the thing about this is we often do feel so helpless, don't we? Uh, we actually feel that powerlessness to help ourselves, to fix ourselves up, uh, especially when our spiritual life is a bit, bit of a mess, it's a bit dry or just a bit tired, or uh, sometimes even when our life, our spiritual life is in grave danger. We just can't fix ourselves and we feel helpless. Uh, one of the other really famous sheep passages in the Bible, uh, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah describes how we are all like sheep who have gone astray. Uh, each of us have gone our own way. Sheep are not suited to go their own way, uh, so vulnerable, so helpless uh, in a world that's dangerous for sheep, because when you leave the protection of our shepherds, well, it's dangerous. And legs flailing around, we just can't get ourselves up, we can't get ourselves going again, but danger circles. The assurance here is we can and should trust our shepherd to notice we're struggling, to care we're struggling, and most importantly, come and help us and do something about it. A great Christian thinker, Don Carson, has this to say about this passage and this part of the passage. It should be up on the screen as well. Don Carson says, Are we not, on occasion, we who are the Lord's sheep, going nowhere in our spiritual life, captured and snared, distracted by lust, chained by love of money, captive to pride to position, deeply bound to love of recognition, locked into prayerlessness, proud of our unconfessed sin, churning up clouds of bitterness and self-righteousness, an easy prey to every spiritual vulture, 
every pack of dogs that comes along unless the shepherd finds us. And here we can be assured our shepherd does seek to restore us, to refresh ourselves. He doesn't stand by laughing or sort of um, judging us for our failed attempts as our legs fail around, flail around. Of course, we need to take responsibility and we need to seek to persevere, but our assurance comes from who our shepherd is and the way that he cares for us. And the thought here continues, verse 3, He refreshes my soul, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. The point here is God won't lead his sheep, us, into spiritual disaster. He will lead us, he will guide us as we follow him along the right paths. Um, other translations here say that he will lead us, uh, he will lead me in paths of righteousness. He will lead me in paths of righteousness. That is, he will help us grow in godliness, in holiness. He'll help us be more obedient to him. The thing that gives us here as his sheep the experience of complete certainty and assurance is those final four words of verse 3. If you're wondering why does God refresh our soul, why does he care for us, why does he lead us in the right paths, the end of verse 3 tells us it's for his name's sake. God does all these things for his name's sake. Now, undoubtedly, God does these things because he loves us. Uh, That's very true, of course. But there's a deeper truth for why God does all this. It's because of who God is and his concern for his own glory above everything else. So you realise God deserves, by rights, he deserves all praise, all glory in all the universe, doesn't he? Uh, His name should be so precious and so cherished by everyone because of who God is. That's what the universe should be doing, praising him. God's name is so worthy and actually therefore it's right for God to care about his name. If he didn't care about his name and his glory, he, he wouldn't be fit to be God actually. And we see actually all through Scripture, God acts, God does things. He saves us ultimately because he cares about his glory. He cares about his name. Now that's actually really good for us because what it means is uh, we have the strongest possible guarantee that our shepherd will do an amazing job of being our shepherd, providing for us, protecting us, leading us, guiding us. He will do all that because he's doing it for the best cause in the universe, his own namesake. That means we, as his people, are not a project he'll kind of get half-hearted about or give up halfway through because, you know, we're stupid, annoying sheep that smell too much, can't be bothered. As God's people, we have this ironclad assurance God is leading us on the right paths for his name's sake. We get to experience that assurance no matter what chaos or what disappointment or what suffering comes our way, we're assured whatever our shepherd is up to in the details of our life, whatever he's doing, He will not lead us down the wrong path. He will not abandon us because he would never do anything to compromise his own glory. That's a huge comfort for us. He will be the shepherd we need, undoubtedly through it all. And of course, this is what verse 4 is all about. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, You'll see actually a little footnote there uh, in the Black Bibles. uh, The darkest valley can also be translated in a more famous way you might be familiar with. uh, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it can be translated either way. Um, Whatever the exact words, I think we can all feel what's being described here, can't we? Uh, The valley of darkness, of death, it's a place of danger, a place where evil and threats sort of lurk or even attack. 
We're seeing here that God doesn't uh, promise to keep us safe or to keep us in sort of safe, happy places all the time. Um, instead, we see that as we walk through this valley, we're assured, we're comforted and strengthened by God's presence, His guidance, His protection, and His love. And perhaps you've had that unique experience uh, yourself of talking to a mature Christian. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. Someone who can look back, just like David's doing here, and say, praise God, uh, he was with me. Uh, he was helping me through the worst things I could ever imagine. And on the flip side, how sad it is for those who have never tasted this incredible assurance through the dark valley that there is someone there who cares for them, that they could turn to for help. Do you notice actually how intimate verse 4 is? Something that strikes is that if you're reading verses 1 to 4, in verse 1, 2, and 3, David is talking about God, isn't he? He says, The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes me. He guides me. He's talking about God. Then you get to verse 4, when things are at their worst in this dark valley, he doesn't speak about God. He speaks to him. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's not talking about God at that point. He's talking to him, relating to him. How precious uh, that we don't have a God who's out there somewhere, uh, but one who's right with us through everything, especially with us through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the idea here is shepherds uh, would have something like a club, or I mean, the rod is a sort of a weapon, actually, a very basic weapon to protect the sheep from danger, and I'm sure also to give the sheep a bit of a clip uh, from time to time if they're being stubborn. And the staff is the, that more classic sort of shepherd's staff to kind of keep the, uh, yeah, help direct and guide the sheep. Realize the comfort here from the rod and the staff, the comfort comes from God guarding us, God guarding us and guiding us. And in our case, he does this mostly through his word, doesn't he? God guides us and he guards us through his word, through his promises in scripture. It's through his word he helps us beat away our foes, be aware and alert to danger, alert to temptations, and he disciplines us through his word. He helps us walk on the straight paths. And how desperately, actually, we need God's word, especially when we're in that valley of darkness. See, I think what's being described here is not just the ups and downs or the downs of life in this valley. I really think what's on view here is approaching the one thing we really do fear, which is death itself. Uh, this is really the valley of the shadow of actual death. And as we walk through this valley that is being faced with our own mortality and our uh, createdness begins winding down, whenever that may be for each of us, we're assured here that God is with us in a way that no one else actually can be. Uh, there is no one else who can accompany us, accompany us on that last journey. Uh, at that point, all of our achievements, our experiences, our friendships, our intelligence, the trinkets we've collected, none of it, none of it will be with us, will it? None of, us, none of it will actually comfort us in that valley. Um, but our shepherd can, uh, and he will. He'll be there leading us and guiding us into his kingdom. What a thing it is to have the experience of that assurance in our life uh, and right up to the very, mo very last moment. Well, in verse 5, uh, you see the imagery shifts here a fair bit. The theme continues, but the imagery shifts. Um, the same theme, which is as God's people, we get to experience proper security 
real security. Um, now, I say the imagery shifts here because it would be pretty odd, wouldn't it, to set a table and uh, pour wine out for sheep? Uh, there does seem to be a real image shift. Um, uh, the image seems to be going beyond a shepherd here to be talking about God as our friend. Uh, friendship, of course, happens and is expressed around the meal table. But what an interesting setting. Uh, we're told, you prepare a table before, before me in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of my enemies. Now, I would find it very hard to sit down and enjoy a great meal, you know, uh, roast lamb or something like that, just to really shift metaphors here. Um, I would find it really difficult to enjoy that meal if my enemies are around me, uh, sort of wanting to do me harm. Uh, it'd be hard to relax and enjoy it, wouldn't it? Unless those enemies surrounding me are not an actual threat. Uh, so what's going on here? Um, maybe uh, these, these enemies are sort of their presence, but they're more like captives. They've been sort of, you know, they're, they're captives, but they have to watch on as I have a great time having this meal, something like that. So perhaps it's a bit like uh, there's a royal banquet you've been invited to, uh, and the king, your good friend, the king, has invited you and given you the seat of honour at his table. To make it even better, he's also invited all the people who hate you, <laughs> all the people who've ever hurt you or betrayed you or been hostile to you, uh, and in David's case, plenty of those people, uh, plenty of people try to kill David. They despised him. Uh, so they're all being invited. David gets the seat of honour. We get the seat of honour. And all his enemies have been invited as well. But those people watch on while you and the king have a great time being mates. Eating, drinking, laughing, while they can hardly enjoy their food. Because after all, no matter how much they despise you, they can never do anything about it. They can never show disrespect in front of the king to you or the king. One of the things this, I think, shows us is we get to experience the security, absolute freeing security that comes with being God's friend, uh, his treasured guest. Of course, it doesn't mean that uh, here and now there'll be nothing bad happening, uh, but this is, I think, a victory feast. Uh, the way has been pre prepared for us, regardless of what other people think of us, uh, this is a victory feast we're heading towards. And our seat at the table is secured if we belong to God. I think there's a great assurance here that nothing can shake us from that destination. This victory banquet is, is a sure thing. We get to experience living, looking forward to that certain, certain promise with God, our friend, who has prepared a table for us. Uh, there's still more, though, isn't there? Uh, verse 5 continues, and through to the end of the psalm, delighting, really, in the experience of God's abundant blessing, His goodness and His love. Uh, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, yeah, it's good, isn't it? There's a bit of a celebration noise back there. Uh, anointing with oil was a great way to show hospitality, uh, sort of showing friendship and honouring a guest, anointing them with oil. Uh, that wonderful phrase, my cup overflows. It's clearly the idea that God is not stingy, is he, in giving good things? He cup overflows. You know, another incredible sunset. Well, God, you gave us one of those yesterday. No way, I got paid for doing work, just like last month. Amazing. A new friend? God, wow, you've already given me friends. Now I've got another one. It's Sunday already. Gee, the week flew. Now I get to go to church again. This is awesome. You see, God is not stingy, is he? He gives us so many good things. Verse 6 describes it like this. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You notice that phrase, follows me? What a strange thing. After being, you know, thinking about us following our shepherd, here we're being told, his goodness and love will follow me. Uh, it's actually almost literally God's 
that goodness and love chases us, chases us with his goodness and love if we belong to him. And no matter where we go, no matter what we do, for all our lives, all our lives, God won't let go. He won't stop chasing us. He pursues us with love and goodness. Psalm 23 is a wonderful celebration, isn't it, of the experience of relationship with God. Now, of course, uh, we often fail to notice these wonderful things about uh, being in relationship with God. We forget these things or we often seek other experiences. And of course, in this world, there is imperfectness about everything. It's imperfect how we experience these wonderful blessings. But the end of verse 6, what is it we're ultimately looking forward to? Uh, we look forward to being home, don't we? Being where we belong, where we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, what makes this psalm true for us um, and not just true for David? Uh, something about Psalm 23 might sort of unsettle you a little bit because you think, well, King David, he was, you know, he was, David's, he was, sorry, he was God's appointed king. God loved David uh, and David got to experience all this, but I'm not David and I sometimes wonder, does God actually love and care for me? What's happening in Psalm 23 is, yes, it's true for David, but it's even truer for us uh, because of Jesus. Um, psalm 23 is not just David's psalm. It's a psalm that points us to Jesus and reminds us that we have all these blessings and even more because of Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus says a lot about being our good shepherd. Uh, on the screen here is a John 10 verse 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, those who belong to Jesus, those who know him, uh, know how much he loves us. Um, he, he died for us, didn't he? Our shepherd died for us, his sheep. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death for us. He's been there. Uh, he's conquered it. He's conquered the death, the darkness. Uh, he went to the cross to save us from sin, from evil. So now he can safely lead us through himself when we have nothing to fear with him. And we can trust him uh, to experience all these things. Contentment, assurance, security. We have all these things in Jesus. Uh, Jesus continues in John 10 from verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hands. This is the experience of real relationship with someone who loves us enough to die for us and will never let us go, who will never stop chasing us, pursuing us. We get to be guided by and obedient to his word, his voice. Jesus helps us walk those paths of righteousness as we seek to be more like him. We are so secure, aren't we? Nothing can snatch us from his hands. Nothing can take us away from our wonderful shepherd. Uh, for those who are looking into these things, uh, looking to Jesus perhaps for the first time or the first time in a long time, um, I hope all this sounds really good to you. Um, I personally feel that the experience of Christians it should be the envy of everyone who doesn't have all the things we've described in this psalm. Who wouldn't want contentment and assurance and security? And we really do hope that this is something you'll find yourself as well, as you put your life in the hands of a wonderful shepherd. So I'd encourage you to stick around, uh, keep listening to the voice of the shepherd, uh, keep listening to Jesus and what he, he says in the Bible. Um, I also encourage you to talk to other people who follow Jesus. What is it like to have a shepherd like this? What difference does it make to you? Uh, that is, if you're someone who's thinking about being a Christian, my encouragement is to ask the sheep, or you know, the sheeple, um, what is your experience like with Jesus as your shepherd? 
You could ask in a way less weird way, um, what's your experience as a Christian really like? What's it really like? And for everyone who belongs to this Good Shepherd already, uh, especially over the next few weeks with Christmas chaos hitting, um, be encouraged to listen to his voice, be encouraged to know his presence, and that his goodness and his love are chasing you all the days of your life. And perhaps most of all, seek from him the refreshment of your soul. Now normally I'd uh, yeah, finish a sermon by leading us in prayer, but I thought what a great way to finish today would be to pr- pray the words of Psalm 23 together. Uh, so on the screen uh, we'll have Psalm 23 and we'll close uh, by praying together these words. Together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.